gonna we're gonna go to John chapter four. I'm gonna read verse 29 to start. Uh, we can stand for the reading of the word. That'd be nice. Uh, John 4:29. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 4, and you can probably stay there if you like. Um, John 4:29 says, "Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did." Is this not the Christ? Just taking my title away from that. Come see a man. Let's preach for a little bit. Let's, uh, let's pray before I do. Uh, together, Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you. Hallelujah, God, for your, your spirit, your word. That's here. I pray, God, that you would minister through both of these. And tonight, God, I pray that you would speak to us and challenge us and us closer to you, I pray. I let your will be done in the rest of the service. We give you all praise and glory. You're worthy. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated if you like. If not, sit anyway or stand. I don't care. Uh, this is one of those Bible stories that we know quite well. In the case you don't, we're going to recap it. Uh, but as far as stories in the Gospels go, this one is fairly long. Uh, quite a few verses. Uh, to this story, but Jesus is on his way from Judea to Galilee, partially because the Pharisees were getting upset with him in Judea, and the quickest way from uh, Judea to Galilee was through Samaria, and Samaria was frowned upon for the most part by the Jewish people, and I'm going to give you a little history of Samaria so you know why, in case you didn't know. Um, in First Kings chapter 12, Israel as a nation was divided into two kingdoms, I'm sure you scholars know this, but the two tribes of Benjamin and Judah, um, they became the kingdom of Judah in the south, and the other ten uh, became the kingdom of Israel. So it's quite lopsided tribe-wise. But uh, Rehoboam became king of Judah, and Jeroboam was the king of Israel, and they were brothers. But according to uh, the law, the law said they all had to go to the temple to worship, and... Uh, the temple was in Jerusalem, which is in the kingdom of Judah. And so Jeroboam didn't want his people going to Judah. And so he knows, you know, when people get together and worship, it's hard not to be unified. So uh, he didn't want his people going and worshiping with the people of Judah because that's, I might have to give up my kingdom if that's the case. And so um, he didn't want to lose his power, his authority, or his kingdom. So he came up with a plan. And um, 1 Kings 12, 26 to 29, it says, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto the Lord, even unto uh, Rehoboam, the king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is... Too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold, thy gods, O Israel, was brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one at Bethel, and he put the other in, and the other he put in Dan. So this king, he knows that if people get together and worship, they'll be united. And so he makes a couple of golden calves, just like they did in Moses' day. I don't know why it was always calves, but they did it again. And um, he tells the kingdom of Israel, he says, these are your gods now. Behold, these are your gods. These these are the guys that brought you out of Egypt, these two calves. And 
And he puts them in two different spots so they could go and they could worship without going to Jerusalem. The way they would worship would have been the same, um, right? That's, um, they just he just made them worship these golden calves instead of God. And it, this it was this half uh, incorrect worship that caused Israel to be conquered and led into captivity by the Assyrians in Second um, Kings seventeen. So you've got. This nation of people, they look Jewish culturally, they're the same, they act Jewish, um, but they worship something other than, than God. And when the Assyrians took over, they took people from Israel from, as captives, as you do, and, but they also sent Assyrians to live in Israel because there's no point conquering a place if no one lives there. So they sent people there, and the Assyrians and Israelites who were left, they didn't really know God or the things of God because it's been a few years since... Uh, Jeroboam and everything's kind of mixed up so they kind of become their own people and the Assyrians and the Israelites marry and they worship together and it became such a mess that God sends a plague of lions to kill them and, and the king of Assyria realizing that God's done this because the people aren't worshiping him it takes the king of Assyria to figure this out and he doesn't want to lose this you know all these people so he uh, he sends a, a priest to teach them how to do how to worship the right way um, but if people don't want to learn they won't. And so what happened was they became this mixed, uh, they mixed the, the Hebrew and the Jewish worship with the Assyrian worship, and it came this sort of perverted form of Judaism. So they had some similar beliefs because the priests had tried to straighten them out, and they had the background, they had the culture, all that stuff, but they had some very wrong beliefs as well. And the Assyrians called Israel Samaria because that was the capital city. And so the people who lived there became known as the Samaritans. So by the time Jesus comes on the scene, this twisted version of Judaism is still being practiced. And they did it the best they knew how. By now, these people had nothing to do with Jeroboam or um, the Assyrians or whatever, the lions. They had nothing to do with that. They were just doing the best that they knew how. And they did it sincerely, and they thought that they were worshiping God, and they thought that we were, they were doing it right. And that's why Jesus says to this woman at the well, he says, you worship, you know not what. You don't know what you're worshiping, because you, don't have, you just don't know. And so the Jews, at this time in history, they look down on the Samaritans because they're a mess. They're half Jewish. Their religion is messed up. They don't know what they're doing. They're trying their best, but they're kind of clueless. In regards to the things of God. And instead of trying to teach them the right way, they just looked down their noses at them like they were holier than them. Sound familiar? And anyway, let's go to the story. John 4 and 5. It says, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So Jesus comes to this city in the region of Samaria named Sychar. And uh, there's a well there that's called Jacob's Well because this used to be part of Israel, right? And so he sends um, the disciples out to get food when they get to the city. And he sits down by the well because he's tired from traveling. He's been doing stuff, healing people and teaching. And he's, you know, you guys go do something. You go get the food. I'm going to sit here and rest. And while he's sitting there, a woman comes to the well and being thirsty... Jesus asked this lady for a drink. And she's thrown off because he's, he's Jewish and he's talking to her. And they, they normally, they don't. And, uh, you know, discrimination and all that sort of stuff, right? 
Jews didn't talk to Samaritans because of all these things. And he tells her that if she knew who he was, that she would ask him for a drink because he has living water and she would never be thirsty again. And that sounds like a pretty sweet deal. And she jumps all over that and said, yes, sir, give me some of this water. I don't like being thirsty. I definitely don't like coming to this well every day to get some water. Give me some of this everlasting water so I never have to thirst again. All good? So far? Are with me? And then Jesus says, all right, go get your husband and come back. And we'll do this. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five husbands and are currently on number six, but you aren't even married to him yet. And her mind is just blown. Like your minds every time I preach. Her mind is just blown by this revelation that Jesus shares with her. She, she comes to the conclusion that this man must be a prophet. And so she starts asking him about worship and, and salvation and the Jews and Samaritans and all this sort of stuff. Because underneath all this mess that everyone saw in this woman, someone who's married five times, living with somebody else. This is a woman who, underneath all that stuff is a woman who is hungry for the things of God. Or in this case, we can say she's thirsty for the things of God. And you can't tell by looking at someone if they're hungry for God or not. We can look at people and, oh, they're a mess. She's on her sixth man now. That ain't gonna last. What does she think she's doing? He's a mess. He can't keep a job. He drinks everything. They're a mess. Just look at them. And sometimes, sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it's people like Nicodemus, well-respected, put together, no one in the community, and they're looking and they're hungry. You never know. But we do ourselves, we do Jesus, and we do our world a disservice when we start writing people off based on their appearance or where they've come from or what they've done. And here was a woman who was so eager to know how to worship correctly that at the first hint that somebody might know how to do this, she starts spilling everything and she starts asking all these questions. How, am I, how do we do this? You gotta explain this to me. And Jesus, all he said, all he said to her was, yes, you've been married five times and you're with another guy. That's all he said to her. And she's, give me all these information. Give me all these answers. And one little encounter, one little conversation with Jesus, and things just start coming out of her that have been bottled up forever. You never know. So share Jesus with everyone that you meet. And Jesus and this lady, they're talking about worship. And she says this in verse 25. Uh, she says, I know the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he has come, he will tell us all things. So this random sinner of a Samaritan woman, she was looking for the Messiah in the middle of Samaria. Doesn't know how to worship right, doesn't know how to do all this stuff right, doesn't know how to stay married, doesn't know how to do all, well, she doesn't know much, but she's looking for the Messiah. She was watching. The Pharisees had literally before this driven Jesus to go through Samaria because they didn't like what he was doing. The religious leaders, they're going to kill him and accuse him of blasphemy with this one random sinner lady in the well in the middle of Samaria. She was looking for the Messiah. So you never know. Jesus shares something with her that he didn't really share with many people. 
Verse 26, and Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Jesus said, I am he. I am this Messiah that you are looking for. He didn't even tell the disciples. He asked them who they thought he was. He didn't tell the priests. He didn't tell the Pharisees. He didn't tell Nicodemus when he came. He didn't tell all these other people. He told this one lady whose life was a mess. Verse 27 says, Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek her? Why are you talking with her? The disciples, they come back with the food and they marvel that Jesus is talking to this lady. And by now they've learned to let Jesus do what Jesus wants to do. And instead of questioning him, or instead of questioning her, and say, what are you looking for? Why are you bugging Jesus? And instead of asking Jesus, you know, why are you talking to her? They, they marvel and they keep it to themselves. I know we don't want to admit it, but sometimes we say and do dumb things. In reality, our best move is to just let Jesus do what he's doing. When he's reaching for someone that we might not reach for, it's best we just close our mouths and let him do it. When he's speaking and moving in the life of someone we, and we really don't understand why, it's best we just marvel to ourselves and trust that he knows what he's doing. When he's revealing who he is to someone that we would never think he would, it's best to just stay out of his way. Because you don't know who they are, you don't know where they've been. You don't know what is going on. So it's best that we keep our opinions to ourselves and let him work. Even if we think we know, it's still best to keep it to ourselves and let him work. And that's what the disciples do in this story. Sometimes the disciples get it wrong. And sometimes they say foolish things. And sometimes they get in the way. But this, this case, they, they marvel to themselves. Verse 28 to 29 says, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all the things that ever did. Is this not the Christ? So she leaves her pot. She forgets what she was supposed to be doing. She's gone, come to this well to get water to bring to uh, her house for her and this guy that she's living with, I guess. And I don't know if there's any children involved. or I don't know. But she's, she's supposed to be gathering water to do whatever. And one encounter with Jesus, her whole schedule has changed. One encounter with Jesus, you know, what was important minutes ago no longer matters. What she came to do at that well no longer mattered. And when, if we can ask ourselves this question, when was the last time this was true for us? When was the last time we came into the presence of Jesus and just forgot about everything else? We just dropped everything else, everything we were supposed to do, everything we had planned. Normally it's the opposite. Normally we come to him and all we can think about is all the stuff we have to do today after this. And all the work that needs to be done, the house that needs to be cleaned, and the bills that need to be paid, and the chores that need to be done, and the phone calls that need to happen, and the mail that needs to be sent or checked, or the yard work that needs to be done, or we're focused on our problems, and the drama in the house, and the mess in our family, and the doctor's appointments coming up. We're focused on all these things. When's the last time we came into his presence, and he started speaking to us, and we just forgot about everything else? If anyone had drama in their life, I would bet it was this lady. Five husbands, 
Did they die? Was she divorced five times? Now she's living with another guy? I don't know. Have you ever met anyone like this? But usually drama follows them around. All the ones I've met, maybe not married five times, but close enough, drama seems to follow them around. And people say she had just, you know, come, she came to the well this time of day just to avoid the other ladies in town. Uh, they say they normally would go in the morning to get water for the day, but yet Jesus came to meet her anyway. The Bible said he must needs go to Samaria. This was something that Jesus felt compelled to do. He come to this town and to meet this woman. This wasn't an accident or a fluke meeting. This wasn't by chance. This was on purpose. One encounter with Jesus. Moments spent in his presence and she forgets what everything else. Everything, she forgets about everything else. Remember what that was like? We sing songs like turn your eyes upon Jesus looked full in his wonderful face and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. But do we actually do it? Because when we get into the presence of Jesus, nothing else should matter. What we've brought with us doesn't seem to matter as much anymore. We can leave it with him. And she goes and the King James Version, I don't know why it's, this is funny to me, but the King James Version says she tells the men, which is... I don't know, it could mean the men specifically, or it could mean the, the people. Sometimes men means that, but it just cracks me up that she, this lady with her reputation, goes and tells the men of the city. Maybe she's well-known, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's all the people, but whatever the case is, she goes and she tells them. And she says, come see a man which told me all the things I ever did. Is this not the Christ? And so this woman, who may have a, a checkered past, I don't really know, but she has one short encounter with Jesus and goes throughout her town and she tells everyone, come see a man which told me all the things I ever did. Is this not the Christ? She says, this guy that I just met, he knows everything. He told me everything. This has to be the Christ. And instead of people in town saying, oh no, she's met another guy. She says, this guy knows everything. He's told me everything. This has to be the curse. These, these were Samaritans that she goes to tell. They weren't Jews. They didn't have it all together. They weren't worshiping the right way. They didn't know the word like they should. They didn't um, sacrifice properly. They didn't follow the law properly. They were a mess, and they were influenced strongly by the world and the world's belief. But yet, they knew what she was talking about. She said, this has to be the Christ, or this has to be the anointed one or the Messiah. They were actively looking for the Messiah. This is evident by her conversation with Jesus about worship. She said, I know the Messiah is coming. He will explain everything to us and these people. They may not have had it all together, but they were looking for something. They may not have known everything, but they were looking for the Messiah. And this is the thing. People we come in contact with, people we are neighbors with, and people we work with or we see every day and we people that live in our towns in our communities they may not know everything about the bible they may not know everything about god they may not know anything about anything spiritual wise they may be worshiping wrong they may be worshiping the wrong thing the wrong way they may be mixed up with all kinds of stuff but there are people who are actively looking for the messiah there are people who are looking for jesus and they may not even know it 
And all that it's going to take is a testimony of one person who's been in contact with Jesus. One person who's been in the presence of Jesus. All it's going to take is a testimony of one person who meets him and realizes who he is. When we get a revelation of who Jesus actually is, we aren't going to keep it to ourselves. When we understand who he really is, it's going, to, it's going to come out of us. He is the Messiah. He is our Savior. He is the Christ. He is the one that we've been looking for. And we finally get a hold of that. That's all it takes because others are looking. They just need someone to tell them where to find Jesus. Verse 30, and they went out of the city and came unto him. She told them where to find him. And they came to Jesus. What was her testimony? Was she healed of leprosy? Did she have demons cast out of her? Was she blind and now she could see? Was she lame and now she could walk? Was someone raised from the dead? Was she delivered? Did some huge miraculous thing happen? Did Jesus take her loaves and fish and feed everyone? Did she walk on water? No, her testimony was, he told me everything I'd done. He must be the Christ. And we severely underestimate the power of our testimonies. There's nothing remarkably mind-blowing about that testimony. We underestimate the power of our testimonies. Growing up, I was, I like to think, a fairly good kid. I mean, I've done some things I'm not proud of and I'm not going to tell you about, but I've heard people, I've sinned obviously, but I always went to church, I always went to the altar, tried to backslide a few times. It's really hard for me. I tried. I gave it my best shot. But I kept coming back. But growing up, we'd have these preachers come through and bless their hearts. They tell stories of redemption and how Jesus could change your life. I was addicted to drugs. I didn't know what day of the week it is. Whatever. I was a horrible alcoholic. I lived on the streets. I came from this horrible background and all this stuff. You know, all those things. Stories of prostitutes and drug addicts and drug dealers and suicidal people and people addicted to all, whatever. All kinds of sin and Darkness, wickedness, perversion, whatever. Just the worst sort of stories you could think of. I would tell these stories of people and say, oh, Jesus set me free, or Jesus delivered them, but now they're a preacher, now they're a pastor, now they're a missionary. You know, all that sort of thing, which is good, and it happens. But it was pretty much every single evangelist that came through, especially ones that were geared toward um, youth, all the youth preachers. They just always seemed to harp on it. And they would tell stories of kids that came from messed up situations. They came to church and just a mess and God delivered them. And I'm thankful for all that. And I know that they were trying to encourage. But what it did to us good church kids is it started to make us feel like we didn't have any sort of testimony. Because most of us had never done drugs. Most of us, you know, we weren't sleeping around. We weren't getting drunk. Some might have, but for the most part, we were a pretty clean, pretty clean group. And, it's, and some started to feel like I need to go out and I need to do some of these things so I can, I need, I need to go be the prodigal son. I need to go backslide and I need to do some of this stuff and then come back so I'll have a testimony. And I, I you know, it sounds silly saying that, but that's how people felt. 
I need to go out and do some of this so I can have an incredible testimony, which is nonsense. But And thankfully, our, our youth pastor and, and teachers and stuff, they started teaching otherwise because they noticed that was kind of happening. But it's a problem. Some of us, we don't maybe have that incredible conversion story. We're, we weren't going onto, on the road to Damascus and getting knocked off a horse and blinded for a few days. You know, we weren't compelled to just visit a random church. We didn't feel whatever. We weren't delivered from all these things because we never tried them. Some of us grew up in this. If not this, another branch of Christianity. And we came into this and we hadn't done all these things of the world. And, and we can get to thinking that our testimony is less or lacking. But all this woman said to these people in the town was, come see this man. He told me things. He has to be the Christ. That's it. It's not about how wild or intense or your, your testimony is. It's not about that sort of thing. It's really, really just about Jesus. Her entire testimony was, was about Jesus. It wasn't about her. It wasn't about where she'd come from. It wasn't about what she'd done. Well, sometimes in Bible school especially, it would seem when people would just get up and start saying who could, you know, I did the worst things. I did this, I did that. God deliver me. And, it was, and it, the kind of people kind of made it about themselves. But her entire testimony is about Jesus. It wasn't about her. It wasn't about the fact that she'd been married five times and she was with someone else and Jesus came and, and took that and straightened it all out. It was, it was come see Jesus. He says things. He knows things that no one else knows. He is the Christ. It's about sharing your testimony. It's about sharing who Jesus is. There's power in that. That's what it is. It's not in how outrageous your life story is. There's power in just sharing what Jesus can do. There's power in sharing the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. There's an anointing in that. And that's what this is all about and this woman I really I have a hard time seeing her as having much respect in the community to be honest divorce was generally frowned upon if she'd been divorced five times well that's a lot of frowning upon and if she'd been a widow five times I would have some questions as to why they're all dying I would I don't know you guys probably would you I don't know how old she was. I mean, if she's in her 80s, maybe. But if she's like 30 and she's been whittled five times, <laughs> I don't know. It's not, it's not much better. I don't know what's worse. And plus, now she was with someone that she wasn't married. And, and that was frowned upon. But yet, this simple fact of her telling everyone, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This just shook her community, her city. All it takes is for one person to start talking, one person to start sharing their testimony. Come, meet Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the answer. He's, the, he's what you're looking for because people are looking. And what happens, verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. And they believed on Jesus because of what this woman said. And we don't even know her name. 
She's just the Samaritan woman at the well. But her testimony changes her city. I want to show you something else that happens. People believe because of what she said. They came to Jesus because of what she said. And then verse 40 to 42. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. So they asked Jesus to stay with them. So he stayed a couple of days. And what happens? Verse 41. And many more believed because of his own word. So many more of the city believed because of Jesus' own word. She shared her testimony. Some believed because of what she said. Others came to Jesus and believed because of what he said. They may not believe because of your testimony, but if you can get them into the presence of Jesus, they will. And then, this is the next thing, verse 42, And he said to the woman, And said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So the Samaritan said, we believe, two days later, we believe not because of what you said, but because we've experienced the same thing. See what happens? Her testimony becomes their testimony. She said, I heard him say some things. Is this not the Christ? And they said, we have heard him ourselves and we know he is the Christ. Her testimony becomes their testimony. We are willing to share our testimony. We are willing to share Jesus and invite people to meet him. Our testimony becomes their testimony. And they get their own. My testimony is this. Jesus saved me. And he delivered me from sin. He changed my life. I'm not who I used to be. He's the, he's the Messiah. He's the one that we're looking for. And if you want that to be your testimony today, I invite you to come meet him. They've already got a testimony like that. I'm inviting you this evening. So we've come to a close to pray like the early church did in Acts chapter 4. Verse 29. And now, this is them praying. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. If you need to meet him today, I invite you to come. But if you've already got that, if you've already got the relationship, why don't we take some time this evening and pray for boldness to spread the word to speak the word to share our testimony the bible says they're overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony he's given it to us to share the early church they started to get persecuted and they prayed not to be delivered from the persecution not to have it stop they pray that they would have boldness to speak the word to share the word, to share Jesus. And I, I think that's what we need tonight. We've all got a testimony. We've been, we've met him. We've been changed. And now we just need to, we need to share it with others. We need to share it with our neighbors. We need to share it with our family, our friends, people we meet. So, um, I wonder if we could stand. We're gonna take some time this evening. I don't have any music right now, but let me take some time. We're going to pray and ask God to help us, give us boldness to share our testimony. Be like this, this lady in Samaria that didn't really know what was going on, didn't really know all the things, didn't know how to worship, didn't know how to live right, didn't know how to do all this stuff. 
as she knew how to share her testimony. And it impacted her whole, her whole town. So let's take some time this evening. Let's pray. Let's ask God to give us the boldness that we need to share his word and um, share our testimony. Let's do that together. In Jesus' name.